and welcome to Data Matters, a podcast on day-to-day topics that are relevant for data professionals. I'm your host, Dan Cox, CEO of Ascension, based in beautiful Sydney, Australia. This episode features a fascinating conversation I had with Emma McCullough from Australia Post. Her background in both customer service and data have made her uniquely qualified to drive Australia Post's data innovations. This is part one and all about how Emma is using data to bring OzPost into the future and how COVID has accelerated her team's work in improving the customer experience, especially in the run-up to Christmas 2021. On that, how did you end up getting to where you are today at OzPost? Sure. So uh, I'm actually in a business-facing role in OzPost, and that's not where I started. I started in IT. And even that, I didn't start in IT at university. I studied an arts degree and I studied Japanese and Russian. The Russian was because I wanted to be a spy when I grew up. And uh, the Japanese was because I'd done a student exchange when I was 14 and loved, loved, loved learning Japanese. And then I think I was in cinema studies uh, 102 in my second year of my arts degree and realised I'm never going to get a job if I continue doing just these subjects, which were great. But I I found this, what appeared to me to be a a new and upcoming industry of information technology at the time. And so I went and did a diploma and and I ended up getting my first job on an IT help desk because I spoke a bit of Japanese. I did had done a bit of technology and really they just wanted someone who wanted to learn. So I stayed in IT for 20 years. Uh, I worked up from the help desk. I then went into training, uh, worked on projects and then project, program, portfolio, management. During that time, I moved to London so I could work in bigger companies and different industries. And so um, I ended up in Credit Suisse, uh, which was one of the best companies I've ever worked for. And I was there during the GFC. So that was an incredible place to be, to see how a great company treated their staff during crisis. And they were incredible. Uh, When I came back to Melbourne, I started at GE Capital which is no more now, but uh, at GE, that was an excellent learning ground about how to achieve a lot on very little. Mm-hmm. And really it showed what dedicated people and intelligent teams can do and what they can achieve on shoestrings. And I'm still friends with so many people from GE today. That's great. And then uh, I, I stayed at GE until I had my second child. That's when GE Capital closed the doors. Then AGL after that, staying in IT, and it was there that I I studied human-centered design and innovation techniques, and part of that really is getting closer to the customer and finding out more about problems and falling in love with problems. And IT, you can so so many times, you've probably seen this a lot, they focus on, oh, what's shiny? What's new? What's the new tool? What's the new gadget? (laughs) That's right. And I wanted to get away from that and focus on the problem. So I saw this role at Australia Post, which was portfolio management, but business facing. And I thought I want to be there. And I wanted to be back in an international company or uh, and, and dealing with international and big scale complexities because I, I think that's fun. It certainly is. And, and being able to actually solve those problems with tools that you might already have and see the delight in customers when their issue gets resolved. One of the first projects that came across my team uh, when I started was changing the labeling for parcels going internationally. There's a customs label that you have to fill out. If you go into a post office, you've got to fill out the customs label. Same thing for our merchant customers. 
the older style of labels means you have to print out multiple sheets of A4, you have to fold them, you have to put them in a sleeve and you have to stick the sleeve on the box. This project was turning all of that into a thermal label. So you just print it onto the sticker and put the sticker on the box. So the real-time savings that this gave our customers was huge. It, it dramatically changed how long it would take them to do labelling. And it's been such a successful project. The benefits, we actually achieved the full business case benefits in year one because wow. it was so successful. Yeah, That's amazing. And that really is solving a true customer problem. And we, we made a huge difference. So now at your customer-facing yet technology-enabled position, what do you find that is challenging at the moment? Getting changes done quickly is, is one of our biggest challenges. So, so basically nimble. Yeah, yeah, because it is a 200-year-old company and it's not grounded in digital as its origin story, obviously. <laughs> so I struggle to think of many companies that that old who have truly become digital powerhouses. It's just not the right mix yet. So mm -hmm. we're constantly looking for ways that we can do the tactical changes, which are still fit for purpose, but not trying to overcook solutions because that's just going to take too long and it won't help us solve the problems, especially when the repercussions can be countries won't accept our mail because we're not adhering to the regulations that have been set by them. Then we don't have the luxury of time to do the perfect solution every time. We have to do the, this is what will work and this is what can continue the carriage of postal items. That's an interesting concept because I, I don't think I've ever thought about that, that another country wouldn't accept mail. I mean, we take that for complete granted that, oh, if I throw a, you know, a stamp on it uh, and I send it off to Italy or to the UK or back to the States, no problem. It's going to get delivered. Yeah. But there are different standards. That's right. And we have standards set for us by the EU, but then we may have bilateral negotiations with countries one-to-one -one with Australia that we also have to adhere to those regulations. So an example uh, in particular with data if you're sending a parcel to the US, China, or EU, or UK, um, there might be a few sprinkling of other countries in there too, you need to do something, what we call EAD. So again, the example I said before, you go into the post office, you want to send something to your um, mother in Colorado. You fill out the paper form and off it goes. Well, a few years ago, the US said, we want to know what's in the parcel before it gets on our shores. So you need to send that data electronically. And so what would happen is you take your parcel to the post office, you fill out the form, hand it over, and the person at the counter would then re-enter that information into our platform, and that would then send the notification to the US. Still, you're going, okay, well, that doesn't sound so complex, except it can take up to four minutes per transaction to do that, which means you're now adding to the wait times in store for not only the person at the counter, but for everybody who's in line. Yes. And then when that was just the US, China was a fast follower. This is around the time we've got a huge amount of activity happening with Zygos and a lot of volume being sent from Australia to China. Then EU follows a year later, UK follows. UK is huge for us at Christmas time when wait times are even bigger again. And so we've got a lot of change now happening to send parcels overseas. And this is going to continue. Eventually, it will be all countries. This is fact. It's just a matter of when. But we know we'll be putting turning on a few more countries in the next few months. 
But the US, recent as last year, they said, yep, we know you're capturing the data, but we're now saying that we have to have this data for the high 90% of all parcels arriving in the country. Otherwise, we're not going to deliver it. We're going to send it back. And at that time, we were hitting around the high 80s. And so we were pretty good. If Of all the countries sending to the US, we weren't top. We definitely weren't near the bottom. We were, we were close to the top, but we were still so far from it and we couldn't quite understand. So we, we formed a bit of a SWAT team to go, let's try and dig a bit deeper on what parcels we're not finding or getting this data to the US with. And we found out that we were capturing the data. It was coming from our merchants. So we know for a fact we've got the data. So that, that becomes a reputational risk for us. Mm. Because of what happens if we're accepting this from these parcels from contract customers and we're getting them to the US and the US goes, no, you never sent us the data, send it back. Then what does that say for us? That we can't we can't follow through on our promise to customers. That's right. And so what we found was it was in the transmission of the data. That was our problem area. And it turned out to be that due to conflicting jobs, it wasn't quite getting out uh, the way we were expecting. So a quick tactical fix was put in to repeat the job mm-hmm. and send the data out again. And we jumped overnight to the high 90s. Wow. Yeah. Simple, a simple fix, but to, to find the actual issue and uh, understand that it was so simple, but it could have been looked over for, for years if you hadn't organized that SWAT team to figure out what the actual issue was. That's right. And so with, with data, we, we know that this is in our future, uh, that data is definitely an emerging theme. Uh, because this is just one part of the story. One part of the story is where's it coming from? Who's it going to? The EU are now putting in extra rules to say, yeah, we want to know that, but also don't put it on a plane until we tell you it's okay to put it on a plane. So now we're talking about getting a message back. And then what happens if they come back and say, don't put that on the plane? Yeah. You've got to find that parcel, get that back to its sender. There's another level of complexity there. We then have to be really clear about what's in the parcel because that could then be subject to duties and taxes. So the EU removed uh, the 22 euro VAT for all incoming goods. It's now zero, zero euros. So VAT gets applied to everything. So then we've got to apply those tax rules uh, to the parcel. So all of this added complexity, but underlying it is data. We need the information to be captured. So now you not only need to capture a little bit of data, but now you're actually needing to do compliance. You need to now pass that information on, synchronize it, more detail, more granular detail of the types of categories of stuff, but also then verify tax possibilities as well as, you know, telling the customer, well, you need to pay extra tax. And now workflows from countries saying, well, you need to check this and sorry, I uh, know you can't bring, bring it into the country, illegal type of item or no, it's not approved just yet before you can put it on the plane. That's all very complex and it's just going to get more. So that's had a really big impact for e-commerce, I would imagine as well. It does because you then also need to educate your customers, right? Because it's they, they may not know that they're sending things that they shouldn't. So uh, one that always has stayed in my mind when I first started at Post was finding out nail polish. 
Uh, that's one that you can't send. It's a considered a dangerous good. Again, having knowing what's in the parcel is really important because it's then protecting our people and protecting airlines and making sure that we are only sending things that we should. That's an interesting one because nail polish, it doesn't seem like it would be a dangerous good. But if you think about it, it can be extremely flammable. That's but right. Normal people wouldn't have thought about that unless you specifically ask, what's in the parcel? What are you sending? And most people are probably put off by that as well. No, we can't actually. I don't want to tell you. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so. For a lot of the e-commerce stuff and and your merchants, I assume that there's product information that you bring off of their um, sites that's being purchased to be delivered, or are you integrating with uh, different supply chain uh, capabilities? We don't have great integration with shopping carts. For example, that we don't have integration with Shopify, uh, Mm -hmm. though it is something we had identified as a potential opportunity in the future to be how how can we make ourselves more strategic partners with merchants but it it, we really are just trying to make it less complex but i'm not sure we're necessarily successful at doing that yet it's certainly an ongoing journey because one of the other things is australia post is full of people that are very good at what they do and they've been there a really long time because they're so good at what they do Mm. sometimes the downside of that can be when you've been there so long you you lose sight of what should be known knowledge uh, versus what we shouldn't expect customers to know because they're not the experts in it. And we need to tread that line quite carefully to make sure we are educating our customers as best as we can. And do you see that um, the the quality of the data uh, that's getting moved from one place to another, is that actually telling what the product needs to be doing from uh, delivery to those workflows and is quality of information uh, a high priority? It is, just that we've got so many high priorities (laughs) that we are having to force really hard decisions around priority at the moment. It's data quality absolutely is a priority. That's fact. And we know I was actually just talking to someone yesterday because we're starting to plan a FY23 budget and it's budget season, my favourite time of year. And I was happening to, I happened to talk to them about the need to actually draw a view on a page of our data story. Where have we been? Where are we going? What investments are we having to make? Because there are ones that are absolutely compliance. We've got to do them. We'd, it's no question we have to do this. Otherwise, mail will not get delivered. Because we've got this compliance layer, that means we could then feed off that and do some of these other strategic type of initiatives, which would just make it a better customer experience or um, improve the the flow of data. And we could really have some real improvements there, but technically strategic. And so when compared against everything else in the company, it might not get stood up as a priority versus what do we have to do at a BAU level? And what do we have to do is just keep the lights on. But data quality is 100% a priority because it impacts the customer through to them receiving it. Uh, The data feeds into our tracking. We also use partners, uh, other providers to deliver to certain countries or deliver certain products. If we can't pass that data on efficiently, then it can break tracking for customers or it can incur costs for us. Again, that transmission of data becomes really important. And do you see the upcoming Christmas season as uh, a challenge being 
such long in the lockdowns and supply chains being disrupted, but looking to get better efficiencies? It's a fun one, actually. So I've been uh, lucky enough to work on peak this year. So peak started uh, late July, August, but actually Australia has been in peak this year, pretty much. Um, So when we had Sydney and Melbourne in lockdown at the same time, which was different to last year, the volumes were through the roof. The, the volumes were bigger than Christmas has ever been. I've been project managing this peak program, and when when I started, the feedback from the streams was, I mean, yeah, we'll do, we'll still plan for bigger volumes, but we're already in peak volumes. What type of scale are we talking about between last year or the year before and and, and this year as far as those peak volumes? I'd have to get back to you on that, Dan. It's, <laughs> it's, it's certainly it's certainly bigger. It definitely will be the biggest peak on record. No one was anticipating we'd have another year like last year. But I no, think it was that we had basically three Christmases of volume last year. That's phenomenal. And then this year has been even more. <laughs> and have you seen a direct impact to employment and a direct impact to the need for data and clean data? Yes. The impact becomes when you've got higher volumes, that means that you're going to have higher parcels that you need to know where they are, where they're going. When we've had issues with the workforce, it's because we've had to have sites stood down and that's hundreds of people out because there might be a case of COVID. That's an issue. We've had issues with customers who themselves can't have enough people in the warehouses, either because of capacity limitations or that they themselves were struck down with cases. So we'd have to stand down a workforce for a couple of days until cleaning happened. And we had customers that were experiencing eight days delay of getting their parcels even out the door before we could collect them. The knock-on effect to everybody has been huge. Often posts get the blame because they're the last ones in the chain to, to get the parcel. And it's unfortunate, but it, it is what it is. It's just been really hard for so many people, for so many of the teams. They keep coming and they keep trying and they keep trying to look at ways to improve the services. They they look to divert volumes. They go for it. They just, they don't stop. They don't stop trying. They focus That's, on the customers always. Is that something fairly new? Obviously with COVID it is, but if a site gets shut down, maybe for a natural disaster or something like that, was that a process that used to be in place as well? Or is this more of a new process to switch warehouses, switch DC locations? Is that something fairly new? To your point about natural disasters, we've encountered a lot of them in Australia as a whole, right? So the BCP had already been created And it's something I've actually been talking about with risk recently about, do you have COVID-specific plans? And they say, no, no, because we've already got these plans in place for the natural disasters. And so we've just been enacting those and trying to improve on those plans as we learn and go. It's just that you just never know. It's more like whack-a-mole at the moment. (laughs) You never know where it's going to come from next. It does feel more stable at the moment. Things have stabilised a bit. But that means you've got to be a lot more innovative, right, as well, of being able to be nimble, flexible, move things around. How has data actually played into that role? There are so many data sources that we take into account uh, when, when looking at service. So it'll be how many calls are coming into the contact center and then using that data to try and identify where uh, most of the issue is coming from as the priority areas that we need to fix and then 
is it a certain facility? Okay, well, why is that facility struggling with issues at the moment? Is it about people? Is it about volumes? Is it about something else? And so the contact centre has been a great source of trying to troubleshoot. But again, you fix one area and then another one pops up and then another one. And when those volumes are so much higher than they've ever been, it's just going to take some time to get through them all. But the thing I've learned from working with people in operations and being out of the facilities is they see a problem, they fix that problem. That is not something that they sit on. They will go to it. They love getting this data source, these data sources provided to them because that really helps to identify problem areas. In the next episode, we'll hear about Project Octopus, Emma's pet initiative on connecting data sources within OzPost. Remember, Data Matters is about relevant topics to you. So if you have a subject you'd like us to address, let us know by reaching out to me on LinkedIn or via email at podcasts at ascension.com. Thanks.